0: and turn together to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I thought my Bible was up here. Philippians chapter 2. And tonight we, with the Lord's help, plan to finish this chapter looking at a very little-known character, a little-known person in the New Testament and someone that uh, had a large impact had a great impact for the Lord, but is little known, little talked about. He's mentioned only in the book of Philippians, and this is the only place we read of him. And can I just remind us that there are many, many people throughout history that are unknown or little known and have made a deep, deep impact for the Lord. We talk about Paul and we talk about the apostles and Moses and some of these really big names Um But uh, someone has said that sometimes the greatest history is simply to love the people around you, to live faithfully, to reject sin, and to be forgotten. And not to be forgotten eternally, because that's not the case for any child of God, but simply to point people to Jesus, to live your life for Jesus, and then to let it be. Um, There are certain lost people and even sometimes saved people that they live their life simply to make their name known. Um... As we look in the passage tonight, and we see this guy named Epaphroditus, he didn't live with this in mind. He certainly lived for others. So if you found your place, uh, stand with me, and uh, we'll read Philippians 2, beginning in verse 25, and the simplifies page 1121. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And Paul writes to the Philippians and says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he who ministered to my needs. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick and near death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and honor such people because for the work of Christ, he was near death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this one named Epaphroditus. And we know little about him, but you know all about him, Lord. Help us to learn what we can from these verses. May your spirit teach us. May we be open to what he would say to us. If we should grow in a certain area like Epaphroditus, or if we should be willing to serve in the shadows, Lord, if we should uh, be willing to sacrifice for the Lord, however you would lead through the passage, I pray that you would lead your people forward and lead me, Lord. We all need you. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, please be seated. In this day and time, there was no FedEx and post office. And so uh, a letter required not only paper, so to speak, and pen and ink, so to speak, but it also required a way to get it there. Epaphroditus was the way to get it there. And he was the guy that would carry this letter and but before he would carry it to them, Epaphroditus had come to them from Philippi. So this is a two way. He's, he's doing a round trip deal here. And uh, the interim period went after he arrived. He spent time with Paul. He lived with Paul for a short while. And I don't know if it was just so he could write the letter and send it back or if it was longer than that. We don't know the precise timeline but we do know uh, some details from the verses, but this was the guy that would carry the letter there and would carry it back. And today we have a lot of technology. It's very simple. So Epaphroditus, uh, he says here, as he starts writing about him, he says, I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. He considers it vital. He considers it important. And, you know, in our day and time, we get junk mail, right? We get like advertisements and Uh, Oh, man, if we could add up all the credit card offers we've received, right? I mean, we'd just be, we'd be overloaded with credit card offers, right? Well, Paul's not going to make a guy make, you know, days and days of a journey to take one little message or one little blip, right? Mail was much more serious at the time. And so there would be a full message. It would be important. It would be worth the journey. And he says, I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I don't know if there was any other necessity for Epaphroditus to return, he doesn't say. But Paul says at this point, it is necessary for me to send him back to you. And it could have been because of the trouble that he mentions in the division in the church. It could have been that Epaphroditus had other reasons. But Paul says, I I need to send him back. I want you to see the words he uses to describe this man. First, he calls him my brother. And Paul embraced Epaphroditus as a brother. And this is the basic connection that we have with all of God's people. Anytime you meet a saved person, they are your brother or they are your sister. And can I just say that God cares how we treat his children? If if you're a parent here and you have children, do you care how people treat your children? Yes, you do. If you were a child, uh, did you care how you got treated? (laughs) Yes, you did. And so it is in the family of God. He calls him his brother, and they had a bond in the Lord, and he treated him as such, a brother in the Lord. But then secondly, he says, and companion in labor. He calls Epaphroditus a companion in labor. And so this tells us that while Epaphroditus and Paul were together, they worked. And, you know, it's one thing to have a brother or a sister, but now to have a companion in labor. These are people that have worked together They have labored together, and uh, they've gone through projects together. They've um, stressed together. They've sweated together. They've planned together. Whatever this all involves, they work together. And, you know, this word is, is all one word in Greek. Companion and labor is one word in Greek, and it's where we get our word synergy. Do you know what synergy is? Synergy is when you have something here, and you have something here, and you put it together. And when you put it together, it has more force and more energy together than it had separately. And uh, Paul talks about Epaphroditus as a companion in labor. And I think what he's saying is that he worked with me and I worked with him and together we did more for the Lord than we would have done separately. You know, this is an important term for the church, is it not? Companions in labor. God calls us to serve together together to do together what we couldn't do separately. To do more for the Lord together. Do you remember in, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, where it's that famous verse uh, that's often quoted, especially by pastors, about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, right? Hebrews 10, 25. But do you know right before it, it says the purpose for gathering is to provoke one another unto love and to good works. And that meaning is that when we gather, we are helping each other grow in love, and we're also helping to accomplish good works. And as a church, we want to do good together. We want to help one another do good, to encourage us to love the Lord, to encourage us to love others, and to do good works. Paul says, he was my companion in labor. We work together. Now the next description is a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. Now this goes even deeper, doesn't it? It's kind of like a a step. It's, It's brother companion in labor, and then it's fellow soldier. Now, I can't speak to this in military terms because I've not been in the military. Is there anyone here that's been in the military? Do you have any? All right. All right. We have, we have two here. All right. That's good. Two have been in the military, and I don't believe either one of them saw active combat. Okay? No active combat. All right? But when I hear people talk about being in the military, there's a, there's a brotherhood and a bond there. But the real deepest bond is when you have gone to battle together. When you have had your life in someone else's hands and they have helped you come back. That is, I mean, there is just something about that sort of battle. When I was growing up, we had a guy in our church that was called Larry Zemer, And he was a guy that was out in the Pacific in World War II. And he was in naval air. And so that meant he flew off of a carrier. And I can't remember what type of plane it was, but I know he was in the Pacific there in a carrier, and he went through some battles. Um, I want to say Leyte Gulf he might have gone through. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, he talks about the guys, the guys. And every year or two or three years, whenever it was, there would be a reunion. And every year he would go. And every time he would come back, he would talk about, I got to see, there was less this year, but I got to see the guys. And he talked about that bond. And that love and how they have fought together and they came home together and they helped win the war together. And Paul says, this brother, this companion in labor and this fellow soldier. You know, can I just say that as believers, we are fighting for the Lord together. We're serving the Lord together. Can I say we are fighting sin together? And we help one another, we fight together with each other as we pray, and as we give, and as we work, and as we take out the gospel, and as we live the lives God's given us, we're working together. And Paul says, this guy is my fellow soldier. Clearly, Paul is not just seeing him as a letter carrier, is he? You know, He's the guy that's going to bring you the letter, You know, make sure you read it. That's not what he says. This guy had a much deeper uh, peace to his life. So my question for us is, as we think about these terms, is there someone who calls you brother or sister? Well, I hope so. And the only way that that couldn't be is if you really hide your faith and you never speak of Christ and you don't let anyone know you're saved, right? But hopefully you're free with your faith and others can call you brother or sister. But then can others call you a fellow laborer or a companion in labor? That is that we work for the Lord together. And that's what we ought to have in in a church setting But is there someone where you say, I work with them. I serve the Lord with this person. We serve the Lord together. That's what what Epaphroditus was to Paul. And then lastly, this fellow soldier. Does anyone say, he helped me in my spiritual dark hour? He came to my aid. He prayed for me. He stood by me when I was in trouble. And um, because of him, I'm better for the Lord. That's a fellow soldier. And I hope someone can call you that here today. And if not, I think that's a great prayer. Lord, help me to be a brother. Help me to be a companion in labor. Help me to be a fellow soldier. So Paul describes him, but he also does say, your messenger. And that is the idea of the letter. And then he, he goes on to include with that, and he who ministered to my needs. So Epaphroditus had come from Philippi. He came with an update about the Philippians, and he also came with money. And he said, here's a gift from the Philippians. Now, why would Paul need the money? Does anybody remember the context well enough to know why Paul would need the money? For what? To, to, to buy the paper to write the letter. Okay, well, maybe, maybe some of the money did go to the paper to write the letter. That's a good... At Joanna. To pay to get out of prison. Well, I will clarify that in just a moment. Uh, Jeremiah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let me just take what you said and kind of tweak it a little bit. And uh, since several of us have, have forgotten the background a tad, in Acts 28, he was not technically in prison. He was in his own hired house. And the key word there is hired. Okay, so I'll, I'll just read it aloud from Acts 28. But in Acts 28, it says in verse 30, "...and Paul dwelled two whole years in his own hired house and received all who came to him." So he had to pay rent. He had to pay, I mean, a hired house, yeah, it would be rent of some sort. And so he had to pay for that place. And I assume if he could not pay for it, he would be taken to prison. And so he has this safer, quieter, nicer place to stay, although he's chained to soldiers. And this money comes from the Philippians. And Paul, let's let's face it, if you read in Acts 28, he did like Bible studies with the Jewish leaders in there. I mean, he had people coming and going. And I think that would have been very different if he was in prison. And Paul realized this hired house is what's enabling me to receive visitors and to spread the gospel and to have, you know, get the gospel out in the, the ways that I can and to mentor and disciple different ones that will come to see me. And so this was a very important thing. The Philippians came, they brought Money and they sent it by the hands of Epaphroditus. Okay, now verse 26, we read about uh, an issue that befell Epaphroditus. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick and near death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, what he is saying here, and I call this the concern uh, for the Philippians. So I'm sorry, the first uh, point here tonight is cooperation and mission. We saw that in verse 25. We'll see it again in verse 28. This, that oneness and the unity and the teamwork and the fighting and all that. But here he's sick, and this is the concern for the Philippians. And for Epaphroditus, let's face it, if you read the verse carefully, you know what it says about him? He says, he was worried about you all because you had heard that he had been sick. Now you know how I am when I'm sick? I'm worried about me being sick. I'm not worried about someone else hearing I'm sick. I'm worried about me being sick. But what it means is Epaphroditus didn't want them to worry about him. He didn't want them to fear for him or to be concerned for him or for his health. And so he had heard that they knew that he was sick. And he was concerned about that. And he was concerned that they would worry too much for him. And it says he was near death. This was not just a little cold. Epaphroditus has gone out to serve the Lord, to serve the church, to carry the letter. And then he gets sick. And not just a little sick, he gets so sick he almost dies. Now, that might be too personal a question to ask in church. Who here has been so sick they almost died? And you might say, I felt like I was going to die. Well, we don't just mean feelings, we mean you actually almost died. He was very seriously sick. And some Christians sometimes think, if I do right, and if I serve the Lord, I will have an easier path. Well, not necessarily. In some, I mean, sometimes it might be easier, and certainly it will be easier in the long run. But, but this affliction came to him when he was trying to do right. He was trying to serve the Lord and he was away from the Philippians. And so I don't know if this is on the way or if it's after he already got to Paul, but it says he was full of heaviness. This word full of heaviness describes a confused, restless, half-distracted state which is produced by physical derangement or by mental distress, such as grief or shame or disappointment. The term is used of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he deeply was concerned for the Philippians. And he was also near death. But notice it says, God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also. What this means is this. Paul realized that God had mercy on him, but God had mercy on Paul. Because Epaphroditus was such a blessing was such a help. He knew that if he died, his life would be much more difficult. His life would be uh, challenged and his situation would be more difficult. And so he says, God had mercy on him. God had mercy on me in that he spared his life. I hope that our life is making a difference and that others value that and are helped by that and would miss us if we were gone. But also, I, I just see here that there's a courage. You know, there's the concern that he had for the Philippians, but there's a courage in this Epaphroditus. It says that um, God had mercy on him, right? Lest, and, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And Paul had... Notice here that it says Paul had sorrow already, And it says that he would have sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, Epaphroditus' death would be one sorrow added to the other sorrows of my life. And Paul did carry many sorrows. The Lord was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And Paul says here, you know, I'm chained to a soldier. I've got problems here with different things and problems in the Philippian church, but thankfully God spared Epaphroditus. And you know, in our life, when we have sorrow... In our life, we sometimes miss the fact that God has spared us from a lot of sorrow. God has kept us from from a lot of other problems, and in a way, we could almost say that in every difficult situation, it could always be worse. Um, Paul elsewhere talked about this. Second Corinthians one eight: For we would not have you uh, to uh, let's see here. Let me turn over to it. Second Corinthians one eight. I'll get it right this way. Second Corinthians one eight says this. And it says, "For we would not have you ignorant brothers of our trouble that came to us in Asia, that we were pressed beyond measure, beyond strength, so that we even despaired of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we would trust not in ourselves, but in the God who raised us, raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and will deliver, we trust in him that he will yet deliver us." So Paul elsewhere had had this, where he had been under great sorrow and great affliction but God delivered him. Here, God delivered Epaphroditus and encouraged Paul by doing so. So there's a lot of courage. I also see the courage down in verse 30, when this courage is in Epaphroditus directly. Because for the work of Christ, he was near death. Notice that. For the work of Christ, he was near death. You know, in our day and time, people are, are willing to go near death. They do things like jumping off of you know cliffs, and they'll do paragliding, and they'll jump out of planes, and they'll do all these things that are risky, right? Boy, you know, I left off one. Some people even go skiing. You know, they go skiing, they take their life in their hands. Um, but they do risky things for the thrill of it, right? For the fun of it. And, and sometimes people pay a lot of money. They'll go to Alaska, or they'll go off into these exotic places, because they find great thrill in doing dangerous things. Epaphroditus did not set out to die, but in the passage it says, for the work of Christ, he was near death. In other words, he risked his life, and indeed he was very close to death because of the work of the Lord. If you're going to risk your life for something, do it for something that matters. Do it for something that will last. Now, skiing's not really that serious, okay? It's not really that risky. It's not. I have plans to go skiing, so that's why I'm kind of explaining that a little bit. All right, verse 25, um, we, or I'm sorry, verse 28, we see the cooperation again. And it says, I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. So in this word carefully is kind of unique. It's not saying that he, you know, gingerly wrapped him in, in padding and put him in a box or anything. Um, the, every other place we find this word, it kind of gives this idea of, urgency or eagerness or diligence um, full of care that's probably the diligent aspect but he sent him with with purpose and with with force and with uh, precision and and insistence and he did this so that when they saw him they could rejoice they would be happy in other words when he's near death and they're way over there in Philippi and they don't know if he's going to die or not Uh, they're worried, and he knows about the fact that they know, so he's worried about them worrying about him, and so he says, you know what, you're better now, I'm going to send you back, and they're going to be happy, and because they're going to be happy, I'm going to be happy that they're happy, and we'll put uh, peace in everyone's heart here. And he does this, and he says that he will have less sorrow because he knows that they're happy, right? Do you know that little phrase, like, let's say if, if you have a good friend who's moving to, I don't know, let's pick a state, Alabama, We have a good friend moving to Alabama and people say, North Carolina's loss is Alabama's gain. Right. You heard that phrase. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm sorrowing here because he's gone, but you're happy there because he's with you. And now you know that he's well. And now you have this letter. and, And so I can be happier and less sorrowful anyway, because you are happy and you've received him. Notice verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and honor such people. Such a nice little line, honor such people. There are people who serve the Lord. There are people who sacrifice for the work of God. There are people who take their lives in their hands and risk them for the Lord. What, who comes to your mind, not name wise, but categorically, who comes to your mind when you think of people that risk their lives for the Lord? I think of missionaries, absolutely. When they go to other countries and when they go to dangerous areas and when they take the gospel and, you know, I think of right now Bill Dillon over there in Israel, right? He's sharing the gospel and uh, he sent another update just today. And his wife, by the way, uh, flew out yesterday. So his wife's coming home. He's going to stay there and and keep ministering. So uh, anyway, a little side point there. But the point is they're risking their lives, right? They're putting themselves in harm's way for the Lord's work. Those people deserve honor. They deserve our respect. They deserve to be honored and and remembered and and, uh, lifted up in prayer and and certainly treated very respectfully when we meet them. And um, and so he says, receive him, honor him, and um, just recognize what he's done for you. Then in verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he was near death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. That phrase that really jumps out to me, uh, we already kind of looked at the first phrase, for the work of Christ, he was near death. That final phrase says, not regarding his life. Not regarding his life. That word has the idea of to expose oneself to danger, to hand your life over, or to risk one's life. This sounds like what Paul did, right? Paul said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, Jesus said that if we love our lives, we will lose it. Remember that? Epaphroditus did not specifically regard his life. And that meant that the way he viewed his life is he was willing to risk it for something that was really important. He was willing to let go of his life, to let God do what God would do with his life, and he didn't hold it unto himself. You know, Revelation talks about pe- people like this. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. When we read of the martyrs, and when we read of people that risk their lives for the Lord's work, we need to recognize that they've chosen to view their life differently. And we as Christians are called to let go of our life and then to put our life in God's hands and in His plans and to let Him direct our steps. Epaphroditus basically, I think, in his heart said, oh, Paul has a need. My church wants to meet that need. Oh, Paul is, is uh, in, under house arrest. Uh, man, he's been under a, a Roman imprisonment for years now. Uh, uh, he's a, a servant of the Lord, and my church wants to help him. My church wants to help pay that need, and so I need to go. I'm going to take this money, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to help him in any way I can. And see, Epaphroditus was not going forth to large citywide crusades and to big, great revivals, right? Epaphroditus was simply going to serve one person. One person. Paul. And yet, it was for the work of God. It was for the work of Christ. And it was ministering at a point in time where there was a deep need. Can I remind us all that there are certain points in time where you can be a great, great influence in people's lives? Where they're at a point of weakness, or they're at a point of need, or they're at a point of failure. And you come into the picture and you simply say, Hey, how can I help? Here's some money. Let me pray with you. Let me share a word of encouragement from the Bible, right? And sometimes, depending on the situation, that might be their breaking point. That might be the, the, the turning point in the battle. And Epaphroditus went and he served him. And it says he didn't regard his life. Um, this, this term about exposing to danger, I want to share some other ways that it's used. I'll tell a little story and, and we'll wrap up here in a moment not regarding his life, this word speaks of risk, right? It speaks of risking and exposing oneself to danger. And I wanted you to see how it's used in some other places and make some application out of this. There's examples of this word being used in other ways, in secular writings and things. One of them is a man taking a, quote-unquote, out-of-favor legal client because he was his friend But in doing so, he risked his reputation even before emperors. And I got to thinking about that. And what he did is he risked his legal career and he risked his opportunities in order to be loyal and help a friend. Um, Another story that kind of this reminded me of is, do you know John Adams, before he was the president and before the revolution, um, he was a lawyer up in Massachusetts. And John Adams is, is famous for, you know, helping with the Constitution, and he's very famous for being president. But a lot of people don't know that he's also being famous, at, he was famous as a lawyer for taking on some very unpopular clients. And you know who these unpopular clients were? There was a, uh, a thing called the Boston Massacre. And if you know your history, the Boston Massacre was when soldiers fired into a crowd that were throwing ice and rocks and calling names at these redcoats. And the redcoats fired into the crowd, and I think there were seven or eight people killed. And the soldiers were arrested, and they were put on trial. Well, you know that the colonists were not fans of redcoats. And you know that the, the, the populace and all the people around were hoping the redcoats would hang. But they came to John Adams, and they said, We are innocent. They said, Our lives were in danger. We were under threat. And John Adams took those clients on. And he risked his reputation. And he was very unpopular for doing so. But in the end, he won the case. And the lives of those men were spared. And you know, there's such a picture there when John Adams is getting handshakes and appreciation from these men who would have died if he had not stood in their stead and argued as he did. And he worked very hard on this case, right? They're shaking his hand and, and the crowds are disappointed, right? The crowds wanted them dead and here's someone that stepped in and risked themselves. For Epaphroditus, he did not regard his life in order to supply the Philippians' lack of service to Paul. See, what this is saying is, Epaphroditus saw the big picture. He saw beyond himself. He had let go of himself. And so often we cling to ourselves and we let go of the mission that God has for us. But Epaphroditus did the opposite. He let go of himself, and he embraced the mission. And for him, the mission is take the money. Help out Brother Paul. Spend time with him in this moment. Encourage him as he is there under prison guard. You know, there's a strong element of teamwork to the message tonight about Epaphroditus and Paul and the Philippians. And really, if you think about it, Epaphroditus was this link in the middle, wasn't he? Because the Philippians were over there, and Epaphroditus was here. Epaphroditus was the link in the middle. And in the end, the relationship between the two was much better. It was strengthened. The work of God went forward. Paul's needs were met. I assume the bill was paid on the hired house. And what a difference this all made because of Epaphroditus. He risked his life. So for you, I don't know if God's calling you to step out and embrace some risk for his name. I don't know if that's a risk of shame, or a risk of financial loss, a risk of some making someone angry. Um, generally, in the U.S., we don't have risk of physical harm for sharing Christ, but there's always risk. Embrace the risk. I don't know if God's calling you to be a teammate to someone, an encouragement, uh, maybe a financial encouragement, a prayer encouragement, a friend. But God calls us to teamwork. As I thought about Epaphroditus. I don't know what he went back to. I know he went back to a church that was so happy to see him. I don't know what he set aside. Maybe he had a wife and kids. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was single. But when he got back, he had fulfilled that mission. His life had been spared, and he had done what God wanted him to do. And you know what? Can I just remind us how good that feels? When you do what you know you should have done, And God says, do this, and you do it, even though it's risky. When it's all said and done, you are so glad you did it, aren't you? And I believe when Epaphroditus got back to the Philippians, he said, boy, what a trip I had. God brought me through. I'm done, and I'm back. What a good way to end the story. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight. Lord, we thank you for Epaphroditus. Thank you for this little snapshot of this little-known man. We thank you for his service to you. We ask that we would be willing to serve you, to abandon our lives to you, to be a fellow soldier and companion in labor, and to recognize that the lives we live have um, importance. And especially at certain times, it's very important that we reach out to others and be a help and a a link in the chain, so to speak. We love you, Lord. Help these truths to be lived out in our church. May we be a, a... a team for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, any questions or comments as we finish here? Questions or comments? Yes, sir.